Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment, but first I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at stpaulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there, because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. All right. Good morning, everybody. Sorry it's a little bit chilly in here today. Guess uh, don't want to turn on the boiler for a while yet. I can understand that with the oil prices the way they are, but um, hopefully it will be on soon uh, in the coming weeks, and uh, it won't be quite as chilly. But uh, so thank you also for all the birthday wishes. I appreciate that. That's very very kind. Um, we have come today to track two in our quick to listen series. Um, that that. That phrase, quick to listen, is inspired from a verse in the book of James, which says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And uh, so what we're doing for five weeks in a row is we are being quick to listen to some songs. Uh, Every week we'll begin with a song, and uh, then a sermon will follow that reflects on how that psalm relates, or that song Uh, relates to our faith, to scripture, and to the gospel. And uh, as I said last week, the only requirements for these songs that I've picked are that I like them and that they inspire a sermon. That's it. Uh, So they aren't necessarily by Christian artists. They might be, they might not. Those are the only two criteria. Last week we did a song called Found You by an artist named Silicone Boone. And this week's song, track two, is by the artist Florence and the Machine. Uh, Has anyone heard of Florence and the Machine? Okay. Yes, more so than Silicone Boone, which I would expect. Um, This is definitely like a big league kind of group. They've toured with U2. Uh, They've had seven Grammy nominations. Their number one song on Spotify has over 815 million plays. So uh, this is definitely a popular group. Uh, They originated in London in 2007, so they've been around for a while now, 16 years. 
And the song I've chosen is from their most recent album called Dance Fever, which came out in 2022. And uh, it's called Free. So we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to be quick to listen to this song. And remember, if you're watching on live stream, uh, we cannot stream copyrighted music without getting shut down. So uh, we're going to mute the sound on the stream when we play the song. And so if you're watching online, I encourage you to go to the link that will be provided in the chat below. Click on that. Make sure you listen to the song before listening to the sermon. If you're listening to this on podcast later, go to the show notes, click on the, the link so you can hear the song. All right. So let's listen. Florence and the Machines Free. All right. Thank you, Florence and the Machine. Love that song. So, in case you weren't tracking, the theme of that song is anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety, of course, is something that we all experience to some degree, right? Uh, one way of describing anxiety would be it is the discomfort we feel about not being able to control the future. And all of us have very limited control over the future, right? That is part of being human. We're not all-knowing, and we're not all-powerful. And so anxiety is part of life. And for a lot of people, this normal part of life is very hard to tolerate. Some people cannot stop thinking of all the possible bad things that can happen and how little control we actually have over the future. And so the feeling of anxiety becomes so frequent and so dominant that it becomes a disorder, right? It becomes something that causes a lot of disorder in their life. And this is super common. It's estimated that about a third of all Americans will have what can be classified as an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. And presently, at any given moment, about 19% of Americans have an anxiety disorder. So about one in five. And Florence Welch, the singer of Florence and the Machine, is one of them. Well, not really, because she's British, not American, but she is one of the 20% probably in Britain, right, that has this problem uh, with anxiety. She says that she feels controlled by her anxiety, pushed around by it, right? Um, it picks me up, puts me down, chews me up, spits me out a hundred times a day. If you struggled with an anxiety disorder, you know what she's talking about there. Uh, she says, sometimes I wonder if I should be medicated, if I would feel better just lightly sedated. That's something that most people with a, an anxiety disorder have asked themselves at some point. Is there some way to medicate this? Something that I can ingest that will take an edge off? It's this question that leads a lot of people with anxiety to drug and alcohol addiction. It's important for us to recognize that Underneath a lot of alcoholism and drug addiction is deep anxiety that's looking for 
relief. I love when she says in verse 2, because it's all in my head. You're too sensitive, they said. I said, okay, but let's discuss this at the hospital. She's describing a panic attack there. If any of you have ever had a panic attack, this might resonate with you. I've been honest before about, I had a panic attack once about 10 years ago. Ended up in the hospital twice in one night, thought I was dying. Um, that's what it feels like when you're having a panic attack. You feel like you're suffocating or that you're having a heart attack. The reality is there's nothing wrong with you uh, physically, but your anxiety is manifesting in your body. And so it feels uh, like you are dying. And at, when you reach that point, no amount of reasoning is going to help. People can say, oh, you're too sensitive. But you might say, okay, well, you might be right, but let's just get to the hospital so we can make sure. But anyway, as you can probably imagine, the part of this song that is the most interesting to me is the bridge. Because it's there that her thoughts turn to Jesus. So let's look at that again. Okay, she says, is this how it is? Is this how it's always been? To exist in the face of suffering and death and somehow keep on singing? Like Christ up on a cross, who died for us. Who died for what? Don't you want to call it off? But there's nothing else that I know how to do than to open up my arms and give it all to you. So what's she saying there? Well, I'm not certain of what she means, but I can tell you what I hear. That's the thing about art, right? You got to interpret it. And there's, there isn't necessarily one interpretation. But I think the beginning of that bridge is very clear, right? She is expressing discontent with the human condition. Is this really how it is? That we're just supposed to live with this constant threat of suffering and death always hanging over us and just still somehow carry on? Is this really our lot as human beings? And then something about that makes her think about Jesus. Think about Jesus on the cross. Why? Well, from what I can gather on the internet, which, of course, is not always correct, but from what I can gather, Florence, Florence Welch doesn't necessarily subscribe to any particular religious faith. She's not really sure what she believes about God. But honestly, that, if that's true, that makes this part of the song even more interesting to me because even though she's not sure what she believes, she can't help but think of Jesus as she thinks about the human condition. Jesus on the cross. I read that Florence grew up going to a Catholic school, which means she would be very familiar with the image of Jesus on a cross, right? Probably crucifixes all over the place. She would have known that Christ is worshipped as Lord, right? This, this man who hung on a cross. And so as she thinks about her own suffering and the human condition, humanity's suffering, she can't help but think of that familiar image of Christ on the cross. And she can't help but think, we're supposed to imitate that God-man. We're supposed to follow him, to be like him. He lived his life knowing he would end up on that cross. 
And yet, as Florence puts it, he kept on singing. Now, what does she mean by that? Well, of course, Christ was not up on the cross literally singing, right? I think that for Florence, singing represents a lot. I think it represents refusing to give up, refusing to lose hope, refusing to return evil for evil, refusing to let our anxiety keep us from doing what we're supposed to do. Keep on singing. Keep on singing. Jesus' entire ministry was lived in the shadow of death. He's anticipating his death the whole time. He, he talks to his disciples about it over and over again, even though they don't get it. And he said that the reason that he came was to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew that if he kept on singing, if he kept on doing what he was supposed to do, that he would eventually end up on a cross. And Jesus did feel some form of anxiety as he looked forward to that moment of the cross. You guys probably remember that on the night of his arrest, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed, and he was in such an emotional state that it says that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, scholars debate whether that means that he was literally sweating blood or whether it was just saying that, you know, he was sweating blood-sized droplets of sweat. And interestingly, there is a condition, medically documented condition, when some people, if they are under enough stress, they do actually literally uh, sweat blood. So that is possible. But either way, the point there is that Christ was under extreme emotional distress, right? He experienced anxiety. He was anticipating what was to come with profound dread. Jesus... God in the flesh, the God-man, felt anxiety. But still he kept on singing. He prayed to the Father and he said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours. In other words, Father, if there is some way to get this done without suffering and death, let's do that. But if not, I surrender to your will. He kept on singing. And even on the cross itself, Jesus kept on singing. He prayed that those crucifying him would be forgiven, the very people that were nailing him to that cross who had scourged him. And when he died, he surrendered his spirit to the Father. He said, Father, into your hands I commit your spirit. He trusted the Father to the very end. Some people think that, well, maybe Jesus lost faith on the cross because he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what people who say that don't realize is that Jesus was quoting a psalm when he said that line. He was quoting the first line of the psalm. And the psalm does not end with, God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with the person experiencing deliverance and salvation. So yeah, Jesus might have felt abandoned, but even when he felt abandoned by his Father, he kept on singing. He kept trusting God. And Florence 
recognizes this. She recognizes that in Christianity, the Lord faces suffering and death and yet keeps on singing. And she thinks, maybe that's supposed to be a model for us. And she's right. But it sounds to me like that's about where her understanding of the cross ends. Right? She recognizes that Christ died for us, but she seems to be wondering, well, what good did that do? Right? He died for us, but who died for what? She's, she's confused. And then there's this line that kind of feels to me like it comes out of left field, like, like it doesn't belong there. Oh, don't you want to call it off? What's that about? Well, again, I can't tell you what she meant, but I can tell you what I hear. I hear that line is the voice of despair that enters in and says, don't you just want to give up on life? It's all meaningless, all this suffering. He died for what? You're suffering. What's the point? Don't you just want to give up? It's the voice of nihilism. It's all meaningless. But thankfully, she doesn't end there, right? She chooses to not give in to that voice of despair. Instead, she says, but there is nothing else that I know how to do but to open up my arms and give it all to you. It feels to me like Florence is recognizing that in our human condition, we really have two options. Two options for how to respond to the inescapable reality of suffering and death and the anxiety that comes from them. They are, one, give up in despair. Don't you want to call it off? Or two, trust God. And I think she's right about that. You know, Jesus said, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. That is a promise. Jesus' answer to Florence's question, is this how it is to exist in the face of suffering and death? Is this really how it is? Jesus' answer to that is, yeah, in this world you will have trouble. Yes, Florence. We will all have trouble. We will all face suffering and death. Some seem to have more than their fair share. But we all have some. For some of us, it's uh, brought on more by poor choices that we make. For others, it's brought on more by poor choices that other people make. For some of us, there's no clear line between people's choices and the suffering that we're experiencing. You know, cancer diagnosis, uh, an earthquake, natural disasters, right? And yet it still happens. These things happen, and anxiety exists because we know these things happen. And so what do we do? Well... We can try to carry all that anxiety ourselves, fruitlessly attempting to control the uncontrollable. We can do that if we want, but that leads to despair. Or we can give it to God by choosing to trust him. We can trust him even when our anxious fears become reality. We can choose to do that. Despair or trust. Now, some might say, oh, that's a false binary. There are other options. But I don't think there are. I think that's, that's it. And Florence doesn't think there are other options either. There's nothing else that I know how to do but to open up my arms and give it all to you. 
And that is what Jesus told us to do. He told us not to be anxious, but to trust God. Listen to what he says in uh, Matthew 6, starting verse 25. This is from his famous Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I recognize that if you are someone who suffers from an anxiety disorder, Jesus' command not to worry might be a little hard to hear. Because it feels impossible for you to do it. And if that's you, I want to encourage you not to hear what Jesus is saying here as a reason to feel guilty or ashamed. You know, people with anxiety disorders tend to interpret things in ways that make them feel guilt and shame. And this should not be one of those things. Jesus' goal here is not to make you feel guilt and shame. Instead of hearing Jesus' words as a rebuke, hear them as an invitation to peace. Not as a rebuke, but as an invitation to peace. Even if that peace feels out of reach for you, hear Jesus welcoming you to it, welcoming you to rest. When your anxiety rises, Keep remembering Jesus' invitation to rest. Even if you feel physically incapable of receiving that rest, you need to keep hearing that invitation. You need to keep reminding yourself of that invitation. And over time, the more that you hear it, the more you may find yourself able to receive it. Keep hearing it. Now, we should notice... Okay, Jesus' invitation not to worry is not just a call for us to be careless about our lives. Nothing matters, just to be lazy, right? That's not what it is, because notice what he said. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I would summarize what Jesus is saying here like this. Focus first on doing what is right. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Doing justice. Following God's will. Focus first on that. 
and trust that as you do, God will take care of providing what you need. See, often we get it backwards. We worry about money, food, clothing, health, and we think, well, if I can just get all of that settled and taken care of, then I will, you know, start to concern myself with re religious business, you know, following God, doing the right thing. But when we do that, we never get around to seeking God's will. We never reach that point, right? Because there are always reasons to worry about those things. They never go away. Worries about health, food, money. It's endless. And as we concern ourselves with trying to control the uncontrollable, we just become more and more anxious and less and less focused on what God would want us to do and how God would want us to live. And we can do a lot of harm to others as we try to control the uncontrollable. Instead, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. Worry first about doing God's will, and as you do, trust that these other things will work out. But if you're going to seek first the kingdom, you're going to have to open your arms and give it all to him. You have to let go of the worries that you're carrying about things like health and money and food and clothing. And trust that if you put him first in his will, his kingdom, that things are going to work out. You know, it occurred to me that Jesus' prescription for anxiety isn't just stop worrying altogether. Right? Jesus' prescription for anxiety is replace all the worries that you have with one major worry or concern. If you just try to just stop worrying entirely, that's not going to work. Replace your worries with one major concern, which is doing God's will, seeking his kingdom. As you do that, your other anxieties fade in significance. Earlier, I quoted John 16:33. In this world, you will have trouble. And I want to return to that verse as we finish, because... If I'm going to quote that verse, I should finish the verse. I didn't finish it. Jesus did not just say, in this world you will have trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Have courage. Don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. I said, I'm not sure that Florence has a full understanding of the cross. Jesus on the cross, as she recognizes, is a model for us of persevering in the face of suffering and death. Yes, that is part of what we should see when we see Jesus on the cross. But we should see more. Jesus on the cross is Jesus overcoming the world. And when we think of the world, think of the sources of your anxiety. Sometimes we hear the world and we think of creation. Don't think of creation. Think of everything that causes you anxiety. 
the world in its broken, sinful state. Now, if you think about it, at the root of so much of our anxiety is two things. Guilt and the fear of death. Guilt and the fear of death. We feel guilt because we know that we are sinners. We know that we have sinned against a holy God and against our neighbors, and deep down we know that we need grace for that. On the cross, Jesus absorbs the debt of our sin upon himself. And rather than responding by proclaiming vengeance on those who have sinned, he prays for forgiveness. And he says, it is finished. If you need release from anxiety that relates to guilt, then think of Jesus on the cross and know that he has overcome that aspect of the world. The guilt that you bear because of your sin. Christ on the cross is the best medicine for that anxiety. And then there's the other source of our anxiety, right? The fear of death. That fear is a background hum in all of our lives. And it controls us even more than we might be conscious of. And it can lead us to do terrible things. You know, evil dictators throughout history have always known that if you want to control people and make them commit atrocities, you appeal to their fear of death. Right? Fear of death is one of our most powerful motivators and one of our greatest sources of anxiety. But at the cross, Jesus, God in the flesh, enters into death. The holy, forgiving God enters into death. And so now, we don't need to fear death. Because we know that even in death, there is a God of love there to meet us. And not only that, but that God that meets us is a God who has overcome death, defeated it. Because after the cross comes resurrection. Jesus did not stay in the realm of the dead, but rose to life again. And as the book of Revelation says, he now holds the keys to death. Meaning, he's in charge of that realm. The forgiving, loving God is in charge of the realm of death. And he promises that those who believe in him will live even though they die. And so, because of Jesus, because of Christ up on the cross, we can take heart, we can have courage, we can keep singing, we can dance, we can be free. So, this morning... If you are anxious, if you wish you could be lightly sedated, if you find the human condition of existing in the face of suffering and death intolerable, I want you to hear the invitations that Jesus gives to bring your anxiety to him. So this is how I want, I want us to close, okay? I just want to invite you to close your eyes right now. And if you're comfortable, I invite you to put your hands out, open them up, right? Like Florence says, um, the only thing that I know how to do is to open up my arms and give it all to you. Hold your palms in that upright position. 
And hear these words of Jesus. Soak, soak in them, take them in. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, have courage. I have overcome the world. Amen.